Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. In this episode, we take off with hurricane hunters. How do they do it? What equipment do they rely on? And above all, what crucial information do they provide hurricane experts to help them forecast a storm's track? Hi, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Rickard from the Hurricane Hunters, and we're talking hurricanes next. That's on this special edition of Weather or Not. Severe weather can strike any time, and when it does, Seven's got you covered. 24-7. We'll see storms developing. We have a long line of rainfall here. We are the Storm Station. Seven News. This is the sound of a C-130 Hercules plane, the backbone aircraft used in storm recon. The brave men and women that comprise the United States Air Force Hurricane Hunters put themselves in harm's way to acquire detailed information to the National Hurricane Center. They, in turn, use that data to come up with a storm's intensity and the cone of concern. We are very fortunate to chat with Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Rickett. Ryan, can you tell our listeners about your background? Just a little bit about myself. Um really had a passion for weather growing up and uh, went to Penn State, graduated with a meteorology degree, um, had, um, I basically was already going through the process of getting commissioned and went to officer training school and joined the Air Force in, the, in meteorology. I was active duty for uh, roughly 13 years, uh, deployed multiple times to Southwest Asia, worked anywhere from two to four years at a given location, um, a couple of different locations in the U.S., uh, overseas in Germany, Korea. Um, so I was able to pretty much travel the globe uh, doing weather. Um, as an officer, you start working your way up and you start doing more administrative stuff. So you're really not involved in the, the day-to-day operations as far as, um, you know, forecasting or, or providing support to the aircraft that you're assigned to. Um, but at my 13th year, I uh, joined the reserves. There was an opening at the Hurricane Hunters and applied and interviewed and got the job uh, initially as a part-timer. Um, but as a part-timer, it takes a long time um, for us flight meteorologists to actually get qualified to do our job without having an instructor. So we are, us as meteorologists, we, we do not have any experience of being in the air, whereas you know, a pilot might come from a different aircraft or a navigator or the other crew members that we have on our aircraft are called loadmasters. These guys already, like that is their job to fly even in the Air Force. For us, we do ground support on the active duty side, but as hurricane hunters, we actually fly on the aircraft with the rest of the crew and actually direct the missions um, because they're weather focused. So in 2015, joined the hurricane hunters, started going through my training and you have to go through many different types of trainings to get actually able to even go in the aircraft initially. Once you start going in the aircraft, you start flying with instructors and they start teaching you your job, basically. Um, and then uh, the first part of it is really you're just trying to learn how to be a crew member on the aircraft. You're not really learning too much about like the hurricane hunting mission. Really, you're just getting in the airplane, learning how to be an asset to the crew 
you know, just doing local missions out over the Gulf of Mexico or, or going on a cross country to a different location and just really integrating with the crew and, and trying to be a valuable resource. Once you've gone, gone through that part of it, then we, uh, during the summer, of course, we start training to do that hurricane hunting mission. And, and that's where we, we already know how to be on the airplane and, and be a crew member, but that's really where we focus on how to lead that mission um, with the crew, tell the pilots and the NASA loads what we're doing, and then conducting that mission. Um, and then typically about a summer, you get qualified, and then you're basically on your own with the rest of the crew. So that pretty much brings me up to where I've been. I've been in the unit for about six years now, um, and am an instructor now as well. So I teach uh, new students coming in that we have a lot of people coming in now because there were a lot of vacancies in our section. A lot of people retired about five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where we're at right now in our, in our section and where, where I'm at. Ryan, who, who decides what system to fly into? Well, the National Hurricane Center for the Atlantic, Gulf, Caribbean, that area and the Eastern Pacific. And then once you get past, I believe it's 140 West, the Central Pacific Hurricane Center takes over. They're located in Honolulu, and they have the Central Pacific uh, regions, um, basically the authority to task for that area. So the NHC for the most of the stuff that you see us fly, and then if it's going to be something that impacts the Hawaiian Islands, the Central Pacific Hurricane Center. Now, I believe about a season or two ago, there was a system near the Cape Verde Islands, and I believe that there were some recon missions out there. Are, are you extending now the theater that far east, or does, does it just depend on the system? That was actually the NOAA AOC, the wow. P3, I believe, and I'm not sure if the G4 went. That was actually more um, research-based, and that's that group. They're a little more research and science-based whereas we conduct the majority of the operational missions. And in the National Hurricane Operations Plan, the, uh, the extent of what we fly is 52.5 degrees um, west, I believe it is, and then anywhere west of that uh, up until land. So they actually did go and fly. I think it was Lorenzo was the name. <laughs> um, and uh, it, was, it was pretty far out there, but they were actually validating and from what I remember, there were a couple of people I know that flew in that they were validating equipment and uh, calibrating some things. And it was a research based uh, missions for that system. How many how many uh, crew members make up uh, a recon team? So for us, our basic crew that we could fly a um, a weather mission, hurricane or winter. We're also in the winter season right now is five. It's uh, an aircraft commander. Uh, the primary pilot, a co-pilot, a navigator, a loadmaster, which is in the back of the airplane with us and the flight meteorologist, the aerial reconnaissance weather officer is our, you know, our, our acronym name that's very complicated sometimes to say. So we just kind of say meteorologist or flight meteorologist. Gotcha. And uh, um, so, so who is in charge of launching the, the drop zone? So it's kind of a coordinated effort in the back of the airplane between us and the load masters or another name or whatever they can be called is the drop sound operator. Um, they actually have the computer and the system on their side. 
we're right next to each other in the back, right behind the flight deck as you come down the stairs. And we can, we look at each other, we talk to each other. Um, we already know the requirements and where we're wanting to launch. So we basically communicate to th that to them. So they kind of take that little bit of a burden. So they have the tube right behind them. We tell them, hey, we're going to launch here in this eye wall or in the center of the storm in the eye. So they get the drop sons ready. They make sure that it's connected to their system well with uh, the radio frequencies and the GPS. And then they, we tell them, hey, in about a minute. So they get it in the tube. And then we tell, we basically direct them where to launch them. And then as they fall, they're, they're uh, acquiring the information from the radio frequency. It's coming back to the airplane. They collect it all, they QC it, and then they send it over to us and we disseminate it to the hurricane center. So basically a drop zone for our, for our listeners is, is basically like a mini torpedo, correct? And you launch it and then there's a, a little parachute and it starts acquiring all sorts of information. Uh, is there detailed information that you guys actually look for or is it just, uh, is it just a, a carte launch? It's the same for every storm. Well, so yes, essentially what you, the way you described it, it's about 18 inches long and, you know, two or three inches wide and it fits in the tube. And then when it's uh, um, basically launched out of the bottom of the aircraft, it kind of springs out. So it moves away from the aircraft. Mm -hmm. And then it does have like a little stabilizing chute, which basically uh, it doesn't, it slows it down a little bit, but it's really to stabilize the drops on from flipping and just flipping through the air. Um, so it has it, it's basically going down the correct way. Um, what we look for, we want to make sure really our job is to make sure that we're ensuring that the data that we're sending in the temp drop code to our liaisons there, um, they work for us. They're called CARCA. Mm -hmm. um, they actually work at the Hurricane Center next to the forecasters. They're in a room next to them. We're ensuring that all the data is accurate. What the Hurricane Center is looking for is, the, I mean, I'm, we're not the forecasters. We're really the observers in the sky. Correct. But, I mean, you can basically deduce, you know, for a meteorologist, kind of know some of the stuff they're looking for. You know, some of the things we're targeting when we're dropping in the eye wall, we're trying to hit that max speed. We're trying to figure out, or we're trying to launch it. It is very tough to, to hit like a mile wide, because if you really think about like a cat five, the, the cat five winds are very, very narrow. It's not very wide that you have cat five winds. Right. So it's, you're trying, you're flying at 180 knots, you know, in the air and you're trying to launch this from, you know, two miles up in a hurricane in an eye wall bouncing all over the place. <laughs> and then you're trying to launch it with, you know, maybe a half a mile width of where the strongest winds are. I mean, it's, oh. it's nearly impossible, you know, mm -hmm. but we do our best. It gives them a good perspective of what the winds are in that eye wall. So that's some of the things they're looking for. They're also looking at the structure of the storm. You know, when we drop it in the center, we're trying to get the lowest pressure or we're trying to drop it at our, our zero wind at flight level where the winds switch, we launch it. And then when it falls, if the winds are very light, it means it's a very vertically stacked system and very intense and strong storm. If we launch it at zero winds at our flight level and it lands and it's like 30 or 40 knots, that means it's a pretty tilted storm. And the hurricane center can tell a lot about the storm based on, you know, if it's tilted, if it's being sheared, um, the temperatures, you know, if, because it's a warm core low, is it, a, is it intensifying? You know, they can tell a lot from the drop sons. Uh, the drop sons report 
the temperature profile all the way down to the surface, the, the moisture or um, the humidity all the way down to the surface, the pressure, um, and the wind direction and wind speed. So there's a lot of weather information that these guys can capture from essentially one drop zone, but we drop obviously many of them throughout the storm. How long is the average mission? Um, obviously, depending on where we fly out of um, and how far it is to get to the storm. But I would say on average, uh, anywhere roughly around eight hours. Um, and then you can also have long missions close to 12 hours. And you can have also some shorter ones if they're closer to the coast. And we're not as, tat, you know, uh, multiple fixes that we have to hit. Um, so it, it, it varies, but I would say the average is anywhere from eight to 10 hours. What, what does it take to fly into a hurricane? I mean, t t tell me about the, the equipment, the, the C-130 that you guys fly into a storm. Uh, can you give me a little description of what that plane looks like? Um, well, it has four um, propellers, four engines. Um, it, I mean, from a civilian perspective, a lot of people say it's a gigantic airplane, but from an Air Force perspective, it's kind of like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of small, but it is a pretty decent sized aircraft. I, honestly, I don't really know all the specifications because I'm, you know, haven't been in the airplane nearly as long as the right. pilots and navigators, but um, it has a, a, in the nose of the aircraft, it has a radar. So that's our our radar that we use for thunderstorm avoidance uh, outside of the hurricanes, but in the hurricanes, we use it to determine if we can see, you know, dangerous tornadic signatures in the eye wall. And, and we will definitely try to avoid those things as they're rotating around the eye. Um, and then there has a flight deck where the, the two pilots and the nav navigator sit um, up in the front. There's a little bunk for long flights so they can kind of rotate out if it's long missions and a, a pilot can swap out so they get a little bit of a break and then in the back it's pretty empty other than we have a flight station for us with computer and a lot of equipment and then loadmaster is in the back as well and they have a computer and equipment and the drop tube behind them and then after that it's a standard typical c-130 all the way to the back of the aircraft essentially um pretty pretty open space you can carry a lot of people and equipment with in it uh we we pack it in when we when we're going forward um operating out of like for example hawaii or st croix or different locations to fly storms now all of a sudden you've been tasked to fly a mission what do you do how do you prepare uh to go and provide recon for a storm well I would say there's really, I mean, if we're flying something out of our local, out of Keesler, there's really not a lot of preparation other than the fact that maintenance needs to get the airplanes ready to fly then, you know, whenever we're tasked, we can, we can be tasked up to, um, or at the, the soonest 16 hours. So we have that, we have a 16 hour, basically launch response, which gives the crews once they've been identified the crew rest that they need um, in order to be able to conduct the mission. Um, as far as prep out of home station, it's really just getting the aircraft. And then when you show the next day, we show, uh, we get alerted just to make sure that the storm has, is like, it's still something they want us to fly. There's always a, uh, a notification, like you're called by, um, by someone from the, the squadron saying, yes, you're still tasked to fly, which everyone comes in. And then we all, we brief, I get our updates from the hurricane center, Karka, we get updated from them if there's things 
like certain requirements they want us or different leg lengths for our storm passes. Um, and then we just start preparing, getting all our products ready, our flight gear. And then we go out to the airplane, you know, 30, 45 minutes early and then get the plane ready and get going. All right. So now you're in the air and you're penetrating uh, the eye of a storm. What is it like to fly into the center of a hurricane? Well, every storm, we all, everyone says that every storm is different, which is true. Um, well, I mean, we have many different types of missions that we fly in, and I don't know if you're familiar with too much, but for example, if there's just a, an area of concern out there, interest called, we will fly a very low mission called an invest an invest or an investigative mission. Right. We're really just kind of, you know, using some of our meteorological foundation and, and looking at the winds and trying to see if there's actually a closed circulation, um, using our eyes a lot, low altitude, typically during the day, because you can see, uh, you can see the water, you can see if the winds are causing waves and things like that, which we can tell what the winds are based on the way that the waves are shaped and how much there are. Um, so, you know, that's basically the, the start of a mission if it's, if it hasn't developed by the time we fly it. And then as it gets stronger, a depression, a storm, we've obviously increased the altitude uh, because of safety. You know, the stronger the winds, the more uh, turbulent it can be with thunderstorms and things like that. We, we get away from the water. And then as at a hurricane, we'll fly it anywhere from five to 10,000. A weak hurricane, we can fly at 5,000, depending on the winds. But typically a hurricane, we're flying at 10,000 feet straight through, cutting through all the precip, the thunderstorms, convection, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, in general, I would say pretty bumpy. Um, some of them are actually not that bad. It just kind of depends on the structure of the storm. But some of them, are obviously, the ones that are either rapidly intensifying or decaying, um, the ones that are, you know, changing very, very fast um, and can have intense eye walls, those are obviously sometimes the roughest ones that we will penetrate. But once you get into the eye, I mean, it's like what you, you know, if you've been on ground and an eye has passed, it's totally calm, you know. And you can see the sun. That's what it's like at flight level. We fly out, we break through the clouds, and it's kind of, you know, serene and peaceful. You know, you're wow. quite surprised once you've blasted through and been knocked around for a few minutes, you know. What, what has been the, uh, the strongest hurricane you've ever flown into? Or, or what mission gave you the most concern? <laughs> um, the strongest flight I've been on was Hurricane Irma at its max intense we were on the crew or i was on the crew that upgraded it to its max and that was actually the most intense eye walls i've been on there's been a couple that have been very similar of other storms but that one was just intensifying so fast and the the eye walls were just so intense that we really had a little control of the aircraft at that point you know our pilots were really they split controls hmm. um you know between the the yoke and you know the speed all that kind of stuff so they're they basically had to share the controls because typically one pilot can do both of them um so that that occurred that happens every once in a while um and then the other one i would say was actually this past year we flew i think it was hurricane nora very weak hurricane on the east pacific 
very close to the coastline of Mexico. And those storms are really not that fun because of the terrain that really just butts right up against the ocean Mm. and the winds screaming over those mountains that they're 10,000 foot mountains. So you, and we were just basically following the coastline, you know, 10 miles in and you're just, we had like severe turbulence for about 30 minutes. It was just nonstop and it was just brutal. (laughs) Well, I have, I have one final question for you and, and maybe you, you know, but how much does a, uh, a mission cost? Do you know? I don't know off the top of our heads because it depends on, it'll depend on where we're operating, operating out of, you know, personnel costs and things like that. And, and it does vary and fluctuate um, from year to year. So I honestly don't really know. I do know that our, our drop sons, I can tell you that our drop sons cost roughly about $900 each. Um, and that's, you know, we'll launch on a a busy, a decent storm. That's going to probably impact land. We'll launch about 20 of those in a mission. So that, you know, we get a lot of those because that's really one of our most important instruments that we use to collect data that can, people can really tell a lot about the information or about the storm with. Well, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Rickett from the United States Air Force, first of all, Thank you for your service. We appreciate everything that you do. And then above all, thank you for coming on our podcast today. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me and thank you for the support. This podcast is produced by the Seven Weather Team. Original music by Chris Crane with technical support by Stephen Sejas. Thank you for listening to Weather or Not.